0: Well, good morning, saints. Good morning. Good morning. This Advent season, we are highlighting three words. Three words that are very crucial to understanding the advent of the Christ, the coming of Jesus. They are words that John uses quite a bit. Light, love, and life. These words are used in the New Testament, but they have their roots in the Old Testament. And so we're taking time to focus on these words outside of John's writings because they have such tremendous connect to the coming of Christ. Last week, we looked at the word light. We went back to the Old Testament. We saw how it was used in many different contexts. God's light in Scripture is his truth, his righteousness, his comfort, his guidance. Now, when Jesus came, he reached back to the Old Testament and he snatched all of that for his own. And he said, I am the light of the world. The significance of what Jesus said cannot be understood if that's all we see. But when we see the Old Testament, the light of God, Jesus says, that's me. I am the light of the world. Now typically, we preach verse by verse. That's expository preaching. We take a passage or a book and we say, we're going to go through every verse. Last week, we did more of an Old Testament survey, just looking at this word light all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. This morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to choose one book, a New Testament letter, isolate it, and track this word love. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to the book of Romans. Now, you might be saying to yourself, hang on, Romans is the by faith book. Salvation is not by works, it is by faith, and indeed it is. But, I think an underrepresented concept or truth in the book of Romans is the love of God. It shows up quite a bit in the book of Romans. Romans. And while the book of Romans gives us this beautiful, beautiful view of what salvation is, apart from our own efforts, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, it also shows us the love of God. It shows us the tender care and concern that the Lord has for us, not only to save us, but each and every when we need it the most. Remember, John said in 1 John 4, we have come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. So Paul, with his type A personality, he's going to present this in a different way. But I think sometimes we miss his emphasis on this. So Romans chapter 1 We'll begin with verse 7. He's still kind of doing his introductory stuff. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that beautiful statement. Loved by God. And called to be saints. Remember what does saint mean? It means holy one. A saint is not just some super special Christian. Who is performing very well. A saint is every single believer. Everyone who has put their faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Who have received his righteousness. For our Dirty rags. All of those. Loved. By God. And how often do we overlook these. These introductory statements. Oh that's not the meat of the letter yet. Yes it is. Look at God's heart for you. He just said. He loves you. Grace and peace that is god's will that is god's disposition towards you and me god's grace and god's peace never overlook those details now if you have your bibles i'd actually like to go back and read the verses prior to that not on the screen Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So, remember, we're tying together love with the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ has everything, obviously, to do with the gospel. So Paul says from the beginning, this is about the gospel. Which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures. There's the advent of Christ. Jesus is coming, he's coming, he's coming. There's someone who will be coming who is unlike any other concerning his son. And that person, by the way, is Jesus, who is descended from David according to the flesh. There's the genealogy, very important. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. There's the Trinity by his resurrection from the dead. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. There's the great commission discipleship making disciples. That's what he says prior to what we just read. So the book of Romans, we're going to trace this concept of God's love from beginning to end. And we'll see how Paul develops this crucial concept. As Romans highlights God sending his Son. Note how he immediately, immediately applies God's love to our here and now, to our suffering, to our trials that we all face. The next time Paul references the love of God, he's going to take it and he's going to apply it to the heartaches, the grief the struggles, the opposition that we face as believers in Christ. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Not only that, this is where the gospel will turn everything on its head. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. says that. We rejoice when we suffer, particularly for Christ. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and Character produces hope and hope does not disappoint or does not put us to shame. Now, this is the aspect of what we call sanctification that most of us would just as well do without. I'll skip the hardships in life. Maybe you could just make me more like Christ the easy way. Snap your fingers. (laughs) Doesn't happen that way. But you see, God sanctifies and uses the difficulties and the hardships that we face to build character, to develop that hope in us, to make us more like Christ and to point us to him. But, but, watch what he says. Because God's love, God's love, Has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you know famous chefs or grill masters, they'll always tell you there's like a magic sauce, there's a special sauce that they use, and they can't tell you what that is. They'll give you all the regular ingredients that you can, you know, you can YouTube those, but I've got something special that I mix in that makes mine unique. And I'm not telling you what it is. Well, Paul does tell us what it is. Everything that he just said that doesn't really make sense apart from Christ. Like, who rejoices in your sufferings? Paul says, you see, God has taken his love. And he's not only given it to us in a stingy way. Like, I'll give you just a little bit. But get your act together and maybe you'll get more tomorrow. No. No. When Paul says from the beginning that you are loved by God, he says he has taken his love and he has now poured it into your heart. Your heart is the deepest part of who you are. It has been given to you in abundance so that you know when tough times come, when others hurt you, when they disappoint you, when they do you wrong, when you suffer loss, and on down the list, you recall one thing, as Evgeny pointed out earlier on in Lamentations. You love us. You love us. And that transforms what we face in life, and it gives us hope. Now, as we progress through the letter, Paul is going to give us a reminder. Remember, he had just said, he had just said in verse seven, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even uh, dare to die. But look, verse eight, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That love predated your conversion. God loved you even when you were outside of Christ. When your sins were not forgiven. As Romans will also say when you were an enemy of God. There's, there's one of two places to be. You're either reconciled or you're not. But God shows us that he loves us so that Christ was put forward as a propitiation even when we were still sinners, obviously, before we were born. Paul doesn't want us to forget that. That the action of God towards us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That which we celebrate this season and remember and calibrate our thinking on. It's all because he loves us. Let's keep going. Now who does not love this verse? It's a promise that in the end all things will work out for our good. It's Romans 8. We're now in chapter 8. And we'll look at verse Twenty-eight, And we know, we know, we don't hope, we don't wish, we don't double guess, we don't go back and count our pros and our cons. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there's something that I want you to notice in this verse that I think gets a little overlooked. Right here in what I would call Mount, the Mount Everest of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, where Paul takes his movement of the gospel and brings it together so we can see the hope that we have in Christ. He makes a statement that is staggering. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Go back and look at the verse. What does he say? We know that that for those who love God, the movement of this word is now in the inverse. Up until now, it's God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. But now there's something remarkable. Don't take it for granted. We love God. Because the life of God, as John would tell us, is now inside of us. And God is love. So we love God. Not because we have to. Not because someone is standing over our shoulders. Not because someone is taking count or they shouldn't be. But the motivation to love God is because he has loved us so beautifully and so freely and loves us so unconditionally and our heart has been changed. Remember what he said in verse 5. He takes the love of God and he puts it in our hearts, which is a fulfillment of the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, where he says that all of us in Christ will love God. We don't serve him because we have to. We don't serve him because, oh, well, I guess I have to do this. Not at all. He has come into our life. He has changed us. And now, don't let this be lost on you. Earlier in this very chapter, Romans 8, we are called enemies of God outside of Christ. And now we're the ones who love him from the heart. Only God can do that. Only God can change our heart. If anyone is in Christ, he's a one. That was weak. A new creation. This is the gospel hope that saturates the New Testament. Everything is different now. And I think it's good for us to pause this time of year. Yes, it's a busy time. But remember this beautiful truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel this is exactly what john is laboring to tell us throughout first john remember what he says in chapter two we love god because he first loves us it's exactly what paul is saying he just takes eight chapters to do it the same thing god loves us and now we love him Oh, these gospel truths get more and more breathtaking as we get to the top of Mount Everest. Like we're almost there. We're almost there. Chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? This love has been given. This love has not just been given like Stingily, but it has been lavished upon us. It's in our heart. But what if someone takes it away? What if he stops loving me? What if I don't perform? What if I commit the so-called unpardonable sin? What if what if what if all down the line and Paul says no? That's not the gospel The love of God is in you And the love of God is not going to leave you. Look at what he says. Who shall separate us from this stupendous love? Who will ever come in and say lights out? Oh, he's going to go right down the list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution... Or or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. He's like, look, the people of God have known this from square one. Old Testament, New Testament. For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The people of God historically face persecution. We do not face persecution like those who are facing persecution currently around the world. No, 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 he says. Bring it, bring it all. Remember, he's the guy who got beat up everywhere he went. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? How? Through him who loved us. So Paul takes us from victim to victor. We're now conquerors. Life was difficult for Paul. Paul. He left a life of comfort and prestige and honor and power and notoriety. Oh, but once he met Christ, once he tasted the Lord and knew that he is good, oh, all of that was just a pile of dung. And that's a very soft translation, by the way. It doesn't matter. Oh, he said in chapter 8, verse 18, the weight of glory that's behind us, it doesn't even, that's in front of us, it doesn't even compare to what we're facing now. And all of it is based upon the one who loved us. Chapter 1, verse 7. What do we read in the very beginning? God who loved us. And now in these eight chapters of Romans, he gives us this breathtaking view of what that statement actually means for us. He continues, I am sure, or I am persuaded that neither death nor life, okay, stop right there, that's everything, there's nothing that goes beyond those bounds, but he'll go on. Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things in your present or your past or to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He answers the question from verse 35, who will separate us? The answer is nobody. Nothing, nowhere, at any time, place, or for any reason. This love is here, and it's here to stay. That's why we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. That's why we pause to remember the very foundation of our faith. Because the love came and the love is not leaving. Now. Question, which we've asked before. What does love require of us? So, Paul's not done talking about love. He's given you all the good stuff. But now he says, in chapter 12, remember, it's that hinge. Therefore, he says, in light of all of this beauty that is called the gospel... Live like this. I'll give you four ways that we steward the love of God. The love that God has put in our hearts. This is how we steward it. Four ways. This is just from Paul in this letter. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. Exhaustive list. Chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. For the love of all things good, stop faking it. Let it be sincere. Let it be genuine. Don't manipulate people anymore. Abhor what is evil. Notice how all these things are tied together. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor that is what the house of the lord should look like here and when we're not together doing our best to honor one another to love one another genuinely sincerely loving one another and remember this is not a hard command it's it's because of what is in your heart remember he says the love of god is in your heart So let it flow. Just let it flow. Number two. Chapter three, verse eight. If chapter 12 wasn't clear enough, try chapter 13. Owe no one anything, verse eight, except to love one another. That's the one debt that you have remaining for your brothers and sisters in Christ to love one another. It's not complicated. It's that, love one another. The one who loves one another and loves another has fulfilled the law. The, the whole purpose of the law was showing our love for God and our love for one another in many different ways. So he says, look, take that concept and love people. Love them well. Love them sincerely. Love them always. Number three, we'll call this consideration for the weaker brother. You might be familiar with Romans chapter 14. It talks about some of the gray areas and the difficult areas where you're convinced on God's truth that you have freedom to do X, Y, or Z, but. Another brother or sister who's maybe weaker or newer in the faith, haven't quite come to that. He's like, look, love them. If your brother is grieved by what you do, you are no longer walking in love. They'll get to the place eventually, but maybe now is not the time to hammer home your point. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't 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 cause others to stumble. Notice that comment, that statement in yellow, walking in love. John uses it extensively, walking, Paul uses it. It's a metaphor, it means to to live your life. The Old Testament, it's a very Jewish way of thinking. When you walk a certain way, that's how you live. Psalm 1 is a great example of that. Number 4, chapter 15. Here's a fourth way, just from Romans, just from Romans, how we can steward the love of God. He says, I appeal to you. It's not a weak statement. I appeal to you. Chapter 15, verse 30. By the way, don't forget those end verses too, like towards the end of a letter. I know this is chapter 15, but still, sometimes we overlook them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. To do what? To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The mighty apostle Paul was not afraid, not ashamed, to say, would you pray for me? I mean, granted, what he's facing is likely more than what we're going to face today. He said, I know everywhere I go, I'm told I'm going to suffer. But would you pray for me? Would your prayers for me be motivated by the love that the spirit has in tying us together, bringing us in unity? So let's pause, reflect, and apply all of this. Three things I would leave you with regarding the love of God. It's a topic that is often spoken of, but I think not in a whole lot of depth. Number one. Do you know that God loves you? Yeah. I don't mean do you know it up here. I mean do you know it here. Yeah. Do you know that you know? Because that's something John goes after as well. We can know something up here, but we, we also need to know it here. I take you back to chapter 1, verse 7. Grace to you, or to all those in Rome who are loved by God it's right at the beginning you're loved by God I've mentioned this before there's a sister who's long since not, not with us she's moved but when I was I don't know five years ago preaching through Isaiah 53 she came up to me afterwards in tears she said thank you I finally get it. She was crying. God loves me. I grew up in the church. I knew every verse like the back of my hand. I mean, I could quote John 3, 16, backwards and forwards like every spark you can. But I didn't believe it. Like, I knew it, but I had trouble really believing that he actually loved me because I'm more messed up than anybody in the room, obviously, Right? But on, but on, in this Advent season, don't skip over that. Second question. Am I stewarding God's love that was so graciously and freely given to me? On no condition. Shed abroad in our hearts. Am I stewarding that? Am I a conduit for the love of God? Let's be more specific. What is one difficult action I can take this month, this Advent season, if you will, to intentionally love those around me? Something maybe I've been putting off, something I don't want to do, something that's hard to do. I don't know, maybe the person annoys you. Just do something in secret for them or something. Right? But... Let's, the love of God is so profound. When we say that Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Remember Jesus, Philippians 2. Remember the the movement in Philippians 2? Did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Was obedient to death, even death on the cross. When we say that Jesus loves me, What we're actually saying is that the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the one who has no beginning and no end, took on our form, entered into the worst of the worst, became obedient to death, and wound up a bloody bloody mess, literally nailed to a cruel Roman cross reserved for the worst criminals, after an agonizing death, That's what love looked like for him, to reconcile us to God. So let's not be lighthearted in showing love. We say it often, love well. So there you have an Advent synopsis of love from the book of Romans, an unlikely source. I know we didn't really touch on the Gospels this week but may I impress upon you because sometimes you just want to present it in a fresh way, a different a different way. When we look at the lights and when we look and we consider that little baby who changed literally everything, don't go another Christmas. Don't go another Advent season without knowing that that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that God loves you. And that love is not, cannot, will not go anywhere. It's here to stay. You see, when we believe that, when we think about it, when we settle our minds on it, when we're convinced of it, the confidence it brings and the courage it brings to love people well in ways that we would not dare think of otherwise. But we'll get to it soon enough. First John 4 is either verse 16 or 19. We rely on the love that God has for us. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. The simplicity and the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the advent of the Christ, it means the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming, as Paul told the Romans in the very beginning. One prophet after another, all throughout the Hebrew scripture, said over and over and over and over and over again that he is coming, this special one is coming, and now he's come. He did exactly what the scripture said he would do. He suffered and he died in our place. He rose again. Declared with power to be the son of God. Lord of lords, king of kings. This is Jesus Christ. You need to know that your own sin, your own shortcomings, your own failures that you're likely well aware of. Those separate you from God. They incur God's just wrath on your sins. But that's the beauty of the gospel. Christ died for sinners. It's one of the verses we read. The question is, have you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your trust and your confidence in him to save you? Him alone. Just as each of you are sitting comfortably in your chairs with the confidence that the chair is going to do what a chair is supposed to do. That's faith. Faith. You're you're entrusting yourself to your chair. Salvation is entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ, who alone can save. Apart from your works, your efforts, all of the things you want to bring to the table. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you this morning to be in the house of God with the people of God. Thank you for those who are joining us online. Thank you for the one that binds us all together, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us this month to go deeper than we have ever done in regards to your love. Number one, let us believe it. Stand on it. Rely on it. Develop our confidence from it. Number two, let us be very generous with your love. Let us deny ourselves. Let us take up our cross and follow you and be good news to those around us. Not just when those situations come our way. But Lord, we want to be intentional to look for opportunities. To love graciously and generously, extravagantly. Thank you. May the truth of your word, the truth of your love for us, be imprinted in our minds this week and settle deep in our heart. And Father, our prayer every, every time we gather on Sundays, if there is but one person who has not put his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, we pray they would call out to you in sincerity and simplicity And put their faith in Christ. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.